Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. Today, we are continuing our conversation from last week with Emma Brooks and Peter Simon about wellness in Greek life. So those eight dimensions, with regards to the eight points of wellness, I, I think that they are not wasted in, in, in Greek life, at least in my experience. So, I think that there's a lot of work that could be done. The eight dimensions of wellness are something that I think are lacking to be completely transparent. I think that, like you said earlier, like I could pull some things out of the back of my head. There's a lot of fitness classes that a lot of the thetas lead, which is really cool, and they promote them every week, which is really awesome. We have financial transparency, which is really <laughs> awesome. Um, but I don't know if there's anything that we promote for that. I'm really trying to rack my brain here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, I didn't want this to be, you know, a rose-colored lens podcast with nothing but, you know, flowers and confetti. It's not like there aren't things that, that deserve to be addressed as, as problems. The biggest, the biggest issue that comes to mind for me is the financial wellness. I, I don't know if your organization has like payment plan mm -hmm. options. Yeah. yeah, we do. We, we do as well, but in all honesty. It's three months. That's yeah. the in, in three different installments, which is something that I think it comes back to the stereotype of fraternities and sororities being elitist in Absolutely, a way, yeah. um, which is something that has definitely deterred people. I understand. And I, I think a big thing is, is being at a school like William and Mary, we kind of become blind to the idea of elitism, especially in these organizations, because you're just surrounded by twomps, basically. Uh, like <laughs> boarding you, school kids. Exactly. <laughs> boarding school kids, people from Nova, New Jersey. Like you forget that this is not real life. And I think that's a pretty common theme for liberal arts institutions, especially more prestigious ones like like here. That is definitely something that Greek life is often blind to. And to add on to that, there are things that we are trying mm -hmm. to do. Like there are scholarships that you can apply for mm -hmm. through nationals and also Panhellenic. But I feel like there's just more that we could do. I think yeah. subsidies are something that could be worked out. I agree. I, I don't think it's enough, especially when you look at financial aid that universities are willing to offer lower income students. I think that it's a little bit fallacious to expect students not to feel excluded if they are, you know, receiving those kinds of financial support for their tuition, but to still be able to have the same opportunities for their social network with, with Greek life. They, they just won't. And I think that pretty much all of us in Greek life are guilty of becoming blind to that a little bit because it's just so easy to uh, get trapped in an echo chamber when you live with and see the same group of people every single day. And so I think it's important that, you know, there are dialogues such as this one in existence that are putting that into check. The biggest change that I think should be made to Greek life to improve inclusion, at least here, is the financial barriers. Absolutely. I think it's systematic. And I think that is what it trickles down to. Yeah. A large part of the financial barrier comes from the nationals organizations. And I don't know any Greek organization at this campus that feels like they get enough out of their nationals for what they pay them. Dues did go up this year, but it is about like the whole stereotype of exclusivity also. Yeah. And I don't know how an organization can stray away from that while maintaining that financial budget. Mm -hmm. And barrier. Yes. Financial barrier for some. And I think it's so important that 
both of you in your leadership positions are able to to voice this when we're talking about, you know, the stereotypes associated with Greek life, the stereotypes associated with our campus, or the twomps. Not, <laughs> not everyone fits into that mold. And yeah. I think that there are pockets of people, again, first-generation limited income students who could have such a great connection. Like you had said to Emma as a first-gen student, it's such a difficult space to navigate when you step into a campus as a first-generation student and to step into a campus and have that source of social support that we know like evidence-based is one of the most like defining indicators of like your success as a college student and being able to work through that. Um, I would just advocate that you're able to use your voices and, um, you know, work through that and help to create those opportunities for people who might not have been had the luxury of exposure or financial security. I feel like the exposure topic is something that's very parallel to the wellness center. Also, it's like we are trying to do so much as an organization Mm -hmm. to meet students where they are. Like I said earlier, instead of halfway, because like we as wellness investors are lucky enough to have that kind of that sense of shared values and yeah. And the drive. Yeah. Yeah. To seek out these different networking opportunities or resources in general. And I think that is what led me to my organization because I had the drive to want to network because I felt like I was already so behind. And I think that's part that again goes back to that shared sense of values, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's, who you are that landed you where you ended up. Personally, I have tried to get in contact with Kelly Crace to come and speak to us because he did my sophomore year, I think. And I think that it really resonated with a lot of people. And his words are always something that sparks an interest in a lot of people. And I know that as a wellness investor, I've tried to spark interest in a lot of people. Like one of my friends, Layla, for example, is now a wellness investor, which is amazing. And I just love being able to promote this place. The one thing I want to take away, at least I want people to take away from this, is that even though the problems do exist, having a structured organization that you can collaborate with people that you consider brothers and sisters to try and address and fix these problems, I think is very important. I I remember when I was a sophomore, it was the semester before I became president, people were freaking out in the Greek life community here. Emma, you might remember this when uh, the Instagram page, William and Mary abolished Greek life came out. I definitely remember that. I think it separated a lot of people because a lot of people were like, oh, like this is bad for PR. And then a lot of people were like, huh. Maybe. I didn't realize this was, you know, our foundation right. established by and for white women. Yeah. It probably really played off of people's stereotypical concepts of what Greek life was mm-hmm. all about. Yeah. The, it the, re- a lot. the reason I bring it up is because that summer I was like, you know what? I've had a pretty unorthodox uh, Greek life experience. I want to reach out to this page and try and understand where they're coming from. And so I DM the page and, you know, I, I asked them, I'm like, I know, like, I have letters in my bio. I don't want you to be, like, immediately turned away by me. But I just want to hear what you're talking about because I'm not really understanding your point, and I want to. And so I ended up talking to them, and they explained to me a lot of a lot of their issues with it, largely regarding what they called the um, sexual assault and hookup culture of Greek life. They sent me several books that they had read talking about it, and I checked out a lot of the books, and in all honesty, they did have valid concerns. I, I understood where they were coming from. 
the one thing that I kind of disagreed with them on was that they seem to be taking all of their arguments from campus-specific Greek life organizations. So, like, I, I think one of the books that they sent was talking about Greek life at Dartmouth. It's it's disappointing to me when people don't allow themselves to see distinctions like that. I really don't like in, in any situation things being stereotyped, and I think that was an example of, of it. So that was the only thing I disagreed with them on, but I'm very grateful that happened because that conversation that I had with them shaped what I planned to do with my presidency. I made sexual assault for that and other reasons became a very, very personal and important issue for me. And we implemented a non-passive approach to it. We, it was an incredibly difficult year because I had to uh, sever connections to people who I genuinely considered brothers. During my presidency, I expelled more brothers than the past four years combined because we weren't just waiting to hear about instances, we were seeking them down. Unfortunately, that brought a lot of attention to us, and uh, I don't want to say misinformation, but the incomplete information that was spreading around campus led to uh, rumors and things of that nature. But tying this back to mental health, like these were tremendous struggles, and I, I always told my brothers, like it's better to do what we know is right than have people think we're doing what's right. Uh, it was incredibly difficult, and I'm, as, like I said earlier, somebody who's seen an entire generation of this fraternity come and go, I have my full faith in the people that I, that I still call brothers. I'm, I'm very proud of where it's come, and I think I proved myself right. I think my brothers saw that it was all those struggles, it was those hard times that brought us to this point where we all feel so much more comfortable, so much more confident that we believe in the same things, and... I have witnessed very similar processes across several Greek organizations on campus, and it fills me with a tremendous sense of pride to know that not only am I somebody who is able to wear these letters, but I'm part of what I genuinely consider to be a revolution in, in Greek life, trying to remind ourselves that we aren't just a party club. We are people with intellectual and ethnic and religious diversity and we're noticing the problems and we're working to fix them it, it really makes me very proud to be part of greek life and emma i don't want to speak for you but i'm sure you feel the same 100 percent. awesome yeah. yeah we're not you know a perfect organization nor are we a part of a perfect system people have a reason to be skeptical of fraternities and sororities like and they have reason to reserve disdain for us it's important for us to recognize them not shut them out or pretend that these complaints don't exist. It's important for us to recognize them and, and think, how can we address these issues? How can we genuinely work to work to change them? I think that disproportionately William and Mary Greek organizations are more willing to do this than, than elsewhere. And I'm just happy that despite, as I said earlier, there are systemic problems. I'm glad that there are individuals like the both of you who are doing work within the organization to change mm -hmm. that culture and change the stereotypes and like do concrete work to care for others. Yeah. I think that like intention is very important, but putting it into action is even more important. And I think that's something that's very different about um, William Mary Greek life is like, not only do we have the intentions, but we have the people to back it up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that because people don't realize the nightmare of bureaucracy that you sometimes have to go through. I mean, at the end of the day, fraternities and sororities are mini governments. There is no shortage of intention throughout the Greek student body at William & Mary. I can say that with confidence. 
whether or not um, they are organizationally capable <laughs> of, uh, of actually making Very these true. changes is a totally different story. And so I really wish that this distinction was better understood by non-Greeks here. If something needs to happen and it takes time for it to happen, it doesn't mean that the Greek students are just postponing it. It's very likely that they ran into some issue that they are just as if not more frustrated with and they are trying to do the right thing. I have a lot of faith in most Greek organizations on campus that this is almost always the case when they, when they run into PR issues or, or trouble. It is so impossibly difficult to convey and ensure that consistent and accurate information is being disseminated throughout campus. It, it almost never happens. But just like Emma was saying, the intentions from what I've seen in my organization and others are almost always always genuine. I'm sure the same can be said about you, Emma, but I absolutely hate when when something happens relating to my organization and there's just no way for us to say how we as a collective feel about it. Not just this happened and, you know, our letters are connected to it and that's the end of it. And at the end of the day, there's only so much that we as an organization on William Mary's campus can do because it comes down to nationals at the end of the day. Right, right. If something were to happen... It's obviously going to blow through the media. Mm -hmm. People are going to talk and we all know our morals and how we feel about it. And like you said, it's hard to let everyone else know. And even then, who's going to believe us if no yeah. action was taken just because nationals do have the, the final say over that. That's one of the reasons I tried to push this idea of it's better to be slandered and do quiet good than to try and ensure that your reputation is positive. Just accept that people are not going to appreciate it and usher into this world thankless good. I always say, those who matter don't mind, and those who mind don't matter. That's a fist bump right there. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I expect that you find in, in these leadership positions and as you manage these things, the slowness of the processes, you know, holding fast to the values that you hold as an individual, as a group, and working to move those forward those will duplicate themselves in your time beyond William and Mary. Mm -hmm. And so what a nice preparatory time you have on here, being able to exercise what it is that you believe in. And really that's just warming up for your next chapter yeah. and all the work that will be coming ahead of you as you move on from this campus too. And best of luck to both of you with Thank the you. rest Thank of so the so semester <laughs> in the year and everything that goes on within these organizations. Again, I'm really happy that, there are people like you that are trying to make change and doing so with so much care. Well, yeah. Thank you for giving us a voice. <laughs> Absolutely. And organizations like ours are more open to dialogue than, than people realize. So if you, the listener, have any questions, I like you can look up Emma or I's organization on Instagram. We both have a chapter Instagrams and you will get an answer because it's run by somebody who's basically the same age as you and goes to William and Mary and is losing sleep over homework. So, <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for sharing your stories. And also thank you to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Jenny Helmendaller, Calder Sprinkle, and myself, Lindsay Hacks.